talking about things that I'm always struggling with. So you all get to hear what's in the deep recesses of my brain. <laughs> it's pretty dang scary. Let me see. You ought to be here. Um, so one of the things I always struggle with is uncertainty. So is uncertainty a good, a good thing or a bad thing? And how much time and energy do we spend on making certain? So this came up to me several years ago. Uh, this is right when Terry and I came to Crossings in 2004 and had the opportunity. It was a, it was a year of, of real change. You know, have you ever been where everything's kind of the same and then everything changes? This was one of those, those times when everything changed. Our, our last little girl was going off to college. Uh, we were getting ready to buy a business, so we hadn't had debt in, I don't know, 10 years. We kind of worked to get ourselves out of debt, and now we're going in massive debt to buy this business. Um, we we're changing churches. We're, we like hopping churches. We're, we're called church hoppers, so... She had been at this last church for 42 years, and I'd been there 22 years, and it kind of ran its course. So we came here to Crossings and didn't really know anybody, knew of people that went here. And then finally, the last straw was our tennis club closed, Woodlake, and we had to find a new tennis club. So, so there was massive change in the air, and um, a guy came in my office and... Long story that I won't go into, I'll save that for another time. Uh, but he asked me to go to China with him and plant churches using our pump company's solar pumps as the reason to be there in China. You can't just bebop into China and say, I'm here to plant churches because it's illegal back then anyway. And uh, so we were going we were gonna to show the, the government that we could come in and and sell the government solar pumps so that they could uh, get water running to these really rural schools in these really poor areas in China where there's no electricity, no water, stuff like that. And so I'm, for some crazy reason, I said, yes, I'll go. Right in the midst of all this, and changing churches was really hard for us. As I mentioned, Terry was there 42 years at this other little church, and I'd been there 22 years because she made me. And so, um, actually, I made her the last five years because she wanted out of there sooner. But um, we came here to Crossings. And, and so going on a, going on a mission trip, um, telling, the, telling the public security police that we were there to sell the, demonstrate that we could sell the government of China solar pumps, Along, along with our underground church missionaries who it's illegal what they're doing, so the people that we're with could arrest the people that we're with. And, um, and the reason was is we were going to put solar pumps in and they were going to plant churches. We, we go there, uh, I don't know what that was, 15-hour flight uh, to Hong Kong, 
28 hours of total travel, um, get to Hong Kong, uh, fly to Nanning, which is this little town of 4 million that you've probably never heard of, and there's bunches of those in China where there's a 1.2 billion people that live. So um, this is just north of Hanoi, Vietnam. And we get there three days early, and we don't tell the public security that we're going to go there three days early because we thought that was a good idea. And um, <laughs> went off into the country and went to some of the house church's family and, and, and got to share the gospel, which it was really ineffective for me because I don't speak Chinese at all. But I was there. I was rooting them on. I was praying. Um, we go back into public security, jet lagged out of my gourd, 12-hour time difference. And we're trying to navigate this with our house church missionaries Going, which villages we're going to go into, and with the public security police showing them that we're going to do solar pumps and I'm the big industrialist coming from America, and going through a translator. And I don't think he was translating everything I was saying, too. He'd look at me and go, and then he'd just go and say whatever he wanted to say. He did that a lot while we were there. Um, he's a really good guy. He moved there. Um, but... The amount uh, in the epilogue is we were able to put in about a dozen solar pumps. Every place we put a pump in, in the three different trips we were there, and Rick went with us, Rick Webb went with us on the second trip, I think it was, and I was his, I was his food taster. I was like the cupbearer to the king. I'd go, no, you don't want this, Rick. And, then, and he didn't get sick. I did. So... But I get sick in every country I go to. I have that distinction. Um, so uh, we were able to plant churches in each of the villages that we put solar pumps in. And the whole village is coming to Christ. And it was just a really cool thing. But the degree of uncertainty that that was, was, was off the charts on how uncertain I was of going and all the perils and, and things that went on, um, you know, being with, uh, being with some of our missionary friends, our underground church people, there was one fellow there, young kid, had cigarette burns up and down his arms from being tortured for, uh, for evangelism at college campuses. And he spent two years in jail, and I got to talk to him about this. And I'm, I'm asking him, uh, his, his name was Waming. I'm like, Waming, why are you doing this? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, you could go to prison. And he said, he said, Brother Dick, he said, prisoners need to know about the love of Jesus. Guards need to know about the love of Jesus. What does it matter where I am? I'm sitting here. Thinking about 5 till 12, Marty's going a little long, my tummy's growling. And this guy, I mean, it gave me a whole new appreciation of what it is like to have true faith and what it is like for these folks to walk into uncertainty every day. And so that really helped crystallize a little bit about this thing that I struggle with, with uncertainty, because I kind of want to know what's going on. So is uncertainty a good thing or a bad thing? How much time and energy do I 
do we spend trying to make certain? And what about in God's economy? Is uncertainty a bad thing? And that's, that's kind of the questions that I continually go through and try to, try to roll around in my brain. In 1 John, John writes, um, dear friend, 1 John 3, 2, that's uh, the first blank on your page. Oh, wait. <laughs> there isn't a page. Um, 1 John 3, 2, John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, number one, we're children of God. Dear friends, we're children of God. And number two, what we will be has not yet uh, been made known to us. So, this all comes from uh, one of Oswald Chambers' great, great Bible studies about uncertainty. So, how does a how does a child make it? I mean, we were just up with our grandson, which I always thought you all with the grandparents were insane until I became one, and then I'm like, yep, we're insane. <laughs> I'm rolling around on the floor, my daughter's dad. What are you doing? Um, and we don't come to see my daughter anymore. We come to see our grandson. <laughs> I don't know how that worked out. But how does a child make it? Um, they don't know anything. They can't do anything. Out in the woods, if a deer is born, at least they're camouflaged and they can hide. And a squirrel can, a little baby squirrel can climb a tree. But how does a, how does a kid make it? They, they got nothing. I mean... Some, when my daughter was 21, she had nothing. I mean, still at that point. Then she got better. Um, so in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew 18, 1. And he called a little child, and he had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, um, what is the child, what's the little kid certain of? They're not certain of much, but what's the little kid certain of? Little kid's certain of his mom and dad. If he can see his dad, if she can see her, her dad standing there, reach up and hold. I mean, my little grandson yesterday he grabbed my hand. Everything's good. He was a little bit panicky and grabbed my hand. He got stable again. That's about the only thing that these little kids are certain of is if their dad is right there, like Cliff was teaching the other day. Um, and they're uncertain of everything else. They don't, they don't know anything else. In fact, they don't know the dangers that could be out there. They're hanging on to their dad's hand. The little kid is. Um, these, these little kids have outrageous trust. 
that they don't know the perils that are there and they're just hanging on and everything's fine. And it could be, it could be all kinds of danger out there that they don't have a clue of. And as long as they're holding their dad's hand, it's good. And I think that's why Jesus said that you have to have faith like these little kids. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that goes against my nature. I'm not kind of that way. I, I want to make certain of stuff before I go, go do stuff. The little kid is certain of his parents and uncertain of everything else. Oswald Chambers puts it this way, that you're gloriously uncertain of your next step, but absolutely certain of God. Isn't that great? Gloriously uncertain of the next step, but absolutely certain of God. So I pucker up when I live in uncertainty and I get scared because I'm not in control. So I set out to find uncertain, uh, set out to find certainty instead of God. So I'm looking, I'm diligently looking for certainty when there, when there's uh, tenuous things out there. Um, and then I'll, I'll latch a hold of to find certainty in a religion or a belief or what I think God is. And now I've just limited God. Like in Job, remember the, uh, Job's friends? Job's going through all this tough stuff and his friends are counseling him for 40 chapters, giving him counsel um, of what's going on. Um, so if we have an incorrect... Uh, idea of what God is. I mean, that's why this this uh, last few months, half year, the cliff has been going through. What is God like, and uh, what does He expect of me, and what can I expect of Him? If we don't have that right, everything's our whole center of gravity is just off. Like Job's friends, jo- Job counseled his. Fr- Job counseled their, Job's friends counseled them for 40 chapters. Um, if you read uh, Job chapter 8, I lost my little book of Marco. Um, in, in Job chapter 8, uh, verse one, Bildad the Shuite replied, how long will you say such things? So he's, they're talking to Job, and Job's going, I didn't do anything. All this stuff happened to me. I didn't do anything. That's paraphrased. That's the paraphrase, the Greenlee paraphrased version. And his buddy says, um, how long will you say such things? Your words are blustering wind. That's a friend for you. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Isn't that a friend? They were certain that, that um, Job messed up, that Job's kids messed up. They were certain of that. And they just went on and on and on for 40 chapters or so on how... Job messed up, and Job's kids messed up. Again, 
What is God like? What is, what is he expect of us? What should we expect? What should we be able to expect from him? Um, and then in, in, ver, in Job 42, uh, verse 7, um, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. So what they were positive of, what they were certain of, on how, what, what God was like, they were completely wrong. And Job, in all of his uncertainty, held on to his faith. So how are we representing God? Um, is it in a way that makes me comfortable, that makes us comfortable? Is that how we're representing God? Like Job's friends, bad things happen to you, so you must have screwed up, you must have done something bad because bad things happen to you. Or my favorite on what I used to do is when I had a big deal coming up or a job interview or uh, something I was really concerned about and really praying, I'd say to myself, well, I better go to church this week and, and because I really got this thing coming up. Like God's a magic, uh, uh, what do you call it? Lamp. And I'm just rubbing them the right way. Like, oh, if I go to church right, maybe God will do this solid for me. He'll do me a favor if I, if I do this. And that was my understanding, weak understanding of God, that if I did things a certain way, then he would take care of me. Just like Job's friend saying, well, your kid's messed up. That's why they're dead. You obviously messed up. Because look at yourself, you're this rich guy with this big family, and now you got nothing, you're laying there in an ash heap with sores all over you. And as, by the way, the last punishment was God took all of Job's family, except his wife. And she sits there and goes, are you still holding on to your face? Faith? Curse God and die. <laughs> the ultimate punishment. She lived. <laughs> They said that this wasn't recording, but then I heard it was recording, so uh, that disclaimer that Cliff always says is what it is. So, so how, how are we representing God? It, it, is, it, is it really in a way that makes me feel comfortable? Job's friends were certain of their belief, beliefs, and it, and it caused uh, great harm. I catch myself, even today, going, well, I better read my Bible this morning because I got this coming up. I mean, it's always good to read your, to read scripture, but is it to get, am I still trying to get God to do something for me, to act a certain way, and then he'll do things for me? So this, this really comes down to, uh, down to faith, this uncertainty thing, because I really still dislike uncertainty. I, I'm not saying to you that I got this thing whipped. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Cliff, that's the uh, NIV. <laughs> so it's, it's common sense uh, to be certain before we take s certain steps. Okay, that's just, you know, if, if you're looking for stocks, just follow me on Twitter and whatever I do, do the opposite and you'll be fine. But on jobs and business ventures and different things that you're going to do, um, to research, to minimize uncertainty is smart. And we should do that. We should do our due diligence when there's things coming up. But what about in God's economy? What about with our faith? F faith and hope will not exist if we stop at certainty. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So what does it take for, for faith and hope to exist? Correct. Nobody said anything. Uh, uncertainty. <laughs> but you can say that on tape. You can, oh, yeah, that's right. For the, for the sake of the recording, yeah, they said uncertainty has to exist. This is fun. <laughs> so what does it take for faith and hope to exist? It takes uncertainty because faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So by faith's own definition, uncertainty must exist Remember, there's that passage in Hebrews 11:6 that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's just five verses down from Hebrews 11:1. 1. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. So by faith's own definition, uncertainty must exist. And to please God, we, we can't shy away from it. As much as I want to, as much as we want to shy away from uncertainty in the kingdom, it has to exist for faith to exist, for us to be able to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that uncertainty has to be hanging out there. So it comes down to, to faith and trust. I wish it didn't. I wish it was all just kind of spelled out and I could just walk through and then I knew how it was going to end. I'll, I'll watch a movie over and over because I know how it's going to end. I'm starting, I, I'm getting old enough where I'm starting to read books again. I'm like, oh man, this is a good book. I read it five years ago. <laughs> this is good. My heart's pounding. What's going to happen? Well, I kind of know. And that's how I want it with my faith journey. I kind of want to know. So at Water 4, where we where we started Water 4 out of this church. When Terry and I came here in 05, that first trip to China, that was kind of the, the beginnings of Water 4, where we officially started it in 2008, where we're going to try to solve the world's water crisis, a billion people on the planet without access to clean water. We've gotten, we've drilled 4,300 wells, gotten water to a million and a half people, and now we're starting water utilities all over Africa where people, the poorest people on the planet are paying 
because they want to, a nickel a day for their water supply, and there's always revenue, there's always money there to keep the water supply fixed. As we started drilling wells uh, from 08, this is our 10th year, from 08 to 2010, we were, we'd go back and visit some of these villages that we trained the people how to drill their own wells using mechanized, uh, by hand, man, manual drilling methods. Some of these wells were broken, and we're like, what's the deal, your well's broken? And they say, your well's broken. And we're like, whoa, that's not our well. And they're like, well, we don't have any money to fix it. How are we supposed to fix it? And we were like, Ugh. So that's when we found that there's 200,000 today, 200,000 broken wells in Africa. 200,000. That's a, that's a third of the wells in Africa are broken at any one time. Oxford came out with a study that basically said the average well in Africa is ten dollars to $20,000. It lasts for 11 months and something on it breaks and stays broken four years on average. Our wells were a thousand bucks. We're providing jobs. So we had to think, you know, if we become wildly successful, apparently we're responsible for all these wells that we drill. We just collapse on our own weight. So we started asking people, hey, if we got you running water with a solar pump, would you be willing to pay for it if we guaranteed it always be running? And they're just coming out of the woodwork. Yes, we would do that. So we have governors and county commissioner equivalents giving us wells now. These $20,000 wells, in some case, a $100,000 well system they're giving us that's broken, that's been broken for 10 years, if you'll just fix it. And then you can charge us for our water if you guarantee there'll always be water there. So consequently, we're running 150 water utilities right now. Did I ever intend to run a water utility in Africa, no. So <laughs> if we had to pay the nonprofit back, these things would pay for themselves in about six years. So then you utilize that money to drill additional wells in the, in the area. And it's kind of a self-funding mechanism. So there's plenty of money to fix the water crisis if you, if, if you just do it properly. So that was a rabbit trail. I really wanted to talk about that. Anyway, on these trips that I go on, and, and uh, I remember a trip, uh, I guess it was five years after I went to China. I went to China three times in 05 and 06. And uh, had the opportunity, after we started Water 4, had the opportunity to go to DPRK, which is the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which is North Korea. So in 2010, I got invited with some with a group to go to North Korea. So that's not your everyday request, is it? Hey, why don't you come to North Korea with me? I get scared when I have to go down to Midtown. <laughs> so it was it was so this group called Christian Friends of Korea, which is an offshoot of Ruth Bell's family, which is Billy Graham's wife. So they were missionaries in Korea, and then the two Koreas split in the 50s, and the Bell Foundation stayed in North Korea. And this Christian Friends of Korea came from that. So if you catch tuberculosis in North Korea, they put you in an internment camp and hope that you die. It's just brutal. So Christian Friends of Korea goes in, and they have permission to go in and help in these internment camps. 
Um, and tuberculosis can actually, with, with a few antibiotics and good nutrition, you can fix tuberculosis really easily. If you don't, it's a really awful death, um, really, really awful death. And so Christian Friends of Korea asked if we would come and train the Ministry of Public Health in North Korea how to manually drill wells using our manual drilling, drilling methods. And we said, sure, that's like going to Midtown. That's easy peasy. Um, and, you know, the, so we were able to go. And what, what has happened, uh, CFK has been there for 20, 25 years. And these, these internment camps have become little oases because the government leaves them alone because they're like a leper colony. And because if, if you catch tuberculosis, it's a death sentence. But what's happened is the people get healed. Um, CFK goes in and helps them raise crops. We went there. We built a greenhouse while we were there, and we helped and we and we drilled them a well, put in a solar pump. So now the greenhouses feeds them all winter long when it's really cold. And they were bringing in the harvest when we were there, and they the the table was just huge. It, we just we got stuffed from all the food that they fed us in this little oasis, and. Coming, coming to North Korea was such a different experience than China. In China, I, I literally, I mean, I, I kind of felt like I was on my own after leaving the church and coming here. This church is so welcoming, but I just didn't know a lot of people, whereas I'd been at this other church for 20-some-odd years. So we kind of felt a little bit on our own when going to China, and should we go, should we not go? And it was so much uncertainty, so scared. Going to North Korea, flying into Beijing, staying uh, two nights in Beijing to try to get our visa, because it's this big deal to get a visa there, and then taking this piece of junk uh, 1970s Russian Antonov plane. Is that right? It's Tupolev, Antonov. It's one of these piece of junk Russian turboprops flying into North Korea, landing in, this t in the town of Pyongyang, which is like four million people there, and there was one other plane on the tarmac and one crashed helicopter. That was it, and we're coming in. Um, you surrender your cell phone, your laptop at the airport. You get it back when you leave in two weeks. You're cut off. You have a minder with you 24 hours a day. You're, you're under house arrest, basically, in the hotel that you're in. Hey, I need to use the restroom. Okay, and, you know, you're asking to do everything, which is right in my wheelhouse. You know I ask for everything. <laughs> I'm taking sneaky snaps. You're not supposed to be taking pictures. I could turned off my little <laughs> noise on my camera, and I'm sitting there taking sneaky snaps. I took a picture of the USS Pueblo, which was captured by the North Koreans in 1967. It's a trophy on one of their rivers there. And the guy told me to quit taking sneaky snaps. Anyway, the... The difference, and we were, it was a really successful trip. We trained them how to do it. The Ministry of Public Health, we really hit it off. And the, the Ministry of Public Health really cares about their people. The dictator is awful. But these folks really care about their folks. So they were really pleased to get this new drilling method that, they're, that they use and the solar pumps and stuff. But there was something about that uncertainty 
that was different in the five years that I've been doing this, in the five years that I grew under the fantastic teaching and preaching at this church, where I started to learn to trust that without faith it's impossible to please God. God, this, came, this opportunity to go to North Korea fell out of the blue. How is this not? We were there for the, we were there for the, coincidentally, the 65th anniversary of the defeat of the Americans. I got to be in part of that celebration. <laughs> Who'd have known? The rise of the Workers' Party. And so we were forced to come in from the, from the tuberculosis camps and go to these ceremonies where Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un were there at the ceremony and were, were that far away from the, step, the troops that are goose-stepping by us and the tanks that go by and the nuclear warheads that they, in the parade, shoulder to shoulder with Russian generals and Iranian generals, Venezuelan generals. How, how did I get there? I, me, and, me and my friend, we were like, Dude, how do we, what are we doing? How did we get here? And we were just like, well, I don't know, but this is kind of cool. So the, the, difference, the difference in going to Hong when I when we went to China, and I'm in Hong Kong, and I'm by myself, jet-lagged out of my gourd, just walking around, and my, my knees are shaking in China the first trip. And in North Korea, my heart's pounding, going, there's Kim Jong-il. There's a nuclear warhead going by. And it was exciting. And what was the difference? There was still uncertainty out the wazoo. This one was, I had a hold of my God, my dad's hand. I knew that I was supposed to be there because who gets an invitation to North Korea? We're the only eight Americans there. We were the only eight Americans in North Korea at the time. And it was wildly successful. So are we okay... Um, with being certain of, of God my Father and uncertain of all the other stuff that's going on. Is that okay with us? Uh, of the various circumstances. Um, am I okay with the circumstance in my job and uh, my health, my financial future, the, the turmoil that, that comes to families that we've all had in our families? Am I okay with facing that and all the uncertainty that comes with that, knowing that I got, that God's got me? That, that it comes down to this faith and trust that I'm, that I'm certain of God, my Father, and uncertain of all the other stuff of how it's going to turn out. That he'll never leave me or forsake me that the Lord, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that I'm more than conquerors through, those, through him who loved us. That's, that's a language, that's a, that's a reference, a thread all throughout the New Testament that we're supposed to have as followers of Jesus. We're supposed to have that confidence that we don't know what's up ahead with our health, uh, Chris was talking about hating to mow the yard. I had my lung taken out in, in um, 1988 because I sneezed too hard and blew the top of my lung out. And how fearful I was until the doctor said, 
you can't mow the lawn anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, fair enough. That's a good trade. I'm good to go. So I'm with Chris on that. But I can, I can plan and prepare and study and try to mitigate uncertainty to the best of my abilities. But the fact is, my IQ, your IQ goes to zero about certainty of tomorrow. We just don't know. You can kind of plan. I mean, you can look at your Outlook calendar and kind of plan a little bit of what you think is going to happen tomorrow. But really, to be certain, we don't really know. So are we okay with that? And if I insist on being certain um, before I step out in faith, if I insist on it, if I say, God, I just, I, you know, North Korea, just, I can't, sorry. God's not going to hate me. Are you kidding me? God loves me. His overall nature is goodness. He wants the best for me. It's just when I, when I insist on being certain before I step out, I'm the one getting gypped. I'm the one getting, leaving the blessing on the table. Had, had, I not, had I not gone to North Korea, I mean, you can't imagine what that did for Terry's and, and my faith. Um, one, um, one of the Terry's in Sunday school class with someone or another, and they said, do you know, when I was in North Korea, do you know what's going on? In North Korea right now, it's like the 65th anniversary of the rise of the Workers' Party and the defeat of the Americans and that parade and da-da-da-da. And she's like, yeah, I, I know that. And I couldn't take any pictures of that because they confiscate everything when you're with Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un. We saw the, we saw the, um, the crazy uh, general that got a mortar shell lobbed on his head. <clears throat> that was, it was an uncle or something like that. Anyway, he's no more. Um, <laughs> We say no mas. <laughs> anyway, um, do, you know what they, do you know what's going on? And she said, yeah. And she's like, aren't you scared to death? And she's like, it was so good for our faith. She's like, you don't get invited to North Korea out of the blue, even if you want to go. If you all wanted to go, it's really, really hard to go there. And it's super dangerous because, I mean, look what happened to that one college kid. So... We knew that this was God. And there was uncertainty out the wazoo. When I left my cell phone and walked out of that terminal uh, at the airport, and I'm like, okay, they have my passport. They kept taking my passport. If you've ever been in another country without your passport, it's like you feel kind of weird. Anyway, um, I was certain for the one time in my life, I had my dad's hand, and he told me this is what we're supposed to be doing because it just came. And if, if I turn that down, if I say, no, it's just, uh, and I still, I waver. That's why I have this, so I can keep going over this and over it and over it, um, these, these thoughts. If I turn it down, God's not going to hate me. God loves me. He understands I mean, it, when my little grandson falls down, do I go, oh, you're just stupid? 
No. I'm, oh, come here. It's the same. God's got us and wants us to do good stuff. That otherwise, there wouldn't be this romantic, challenging language all throughout all throughout the New Testament, that I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. So, if I insist, and I say no, and I do, I mean, I mess up, I, I should have done something, and I don't, still. Um, as long as I keep a hold of God's hand, he's, he's going to be counseling me and getting us better through this. And... It's just when I turn that opportunity down, I'm the one getting gypped. I'm the, the ble- I'm the one where the blessing, I'm missing the blessing. I would never have had the blessing that I have to be able to travel the world to the jungles of Sierra Leone, to the highlands of Ethiopia, to the outhouses of North Korea. I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I, got, had I gotten scared. And I was scared, let me just tell you. Um, but God wouldn't have hated me if I had chose not to go that route. Are you kidding me? So when there's an opportunity to step out in uncertainty, just take it. We were so excited to go to North Korea versus knee-knocking scared to go to China. It was just so different, and that's just having that confidence. So try not to focus on the uncertainty, but focus on faith on our, on our Father's absolute love nature for us, that his best intentions are for us, and that he's, the Lord is absolutely aware of tomorrow. He absolutely knows about tomorrow, and he wants me and you to step out in faith anyway. And we're all dealing with scary, hard stuff, with things in our family, with financial things, with health things, with uncertainties. We're all dealing with that. We always do. But God wants us, of all people on the planet, to, to show some faith in him, to grab a hold of his hand and march out into these uncertainties with the confidence so other people go, what's up with you? Isn't this scary? Yeah, it's scary, but this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're the ones that are supposed to be showing our faith to the others that are out in the world. This is a scary place. As, as Disneyland-esque as America is, this is still really hard. Life is really hard. Stuff happens. and makes it really difficult. Oswald Chambers says that we're supposed to be gloriously uncertain of our next step, but absolutely certain of God our Father. So, this week, application. Cliff tells us to apply stuff. Take one of these uncertainties that you're dealing with. For me, it's a smorgasbord. I can choose by a a whole bunch of them. Take one of the uncertainties that you're dealing with and switch the focus off of the uncertainty and directly onto God and his absolute love for you and his goodness. If I think we forget what's God like, he's just good. He just wants good for us. 
if, if we can switch the focus from that uncertainty that's just sometimes unbearable, you can't breathe sometimes because of the despair of the uncertainty that's in our lives, switch it off of that and onto God's goodness and his love nature for us and, and how he wants us to step out as his children. Tell somebody you're doing that this week. Take, figure an uncertainty Share it with somebody, hey, I'm really uncertain about this, but I'm going to switch the focus off that uncertainty, and I'm just going to concentrate on God and my Father and how I'm supposed to respond in that uncertainty, holding on to my dad's hand. In Romans 15, 13, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's good. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This week, go out and do this. Grab firmly onto your dad's hand. Find one of these uncertainties and focus on the face of God rather than on the uncertainty And just see what happens this week. Take that step. So let's pray. Father, we're just grateful for your grace and your mercy. We're just grateful that you care for us, that you love us, and that your absolute nature for us is love and acceptance and goodness. And Lord, I forget that now and then, and I just get all wound up on this thing that's in our life that's not certain. And I strive, Lord, to try to get certainty instead of getting you. Show us what that's like this week to seek you, to put these uncertainties behind us, and to focus only on you and your love nature and your goodness for us. We love you, Lord. I pray as we go into worship that you would just cement these in our soul in the next few minutes as we listen to your music and worship you and that we hear the message. Help us to go this week and help us to to be your children. Help us to put a smile on your face this week. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You hear that, Cliff? That's applause.